Florida State baseball fans, this should be a lot of fun. I'm Aria Masudi. I am a play-by-play broadcaster, a freelance broadcaster that also does a lot of writing for the Osceola. I'm joined by Brett Nevitt of Tomahawk Nation. You might know him from his great coverage of Florida State baseball, not just during the season, but in the offseason as well. Brett, just say hey to the people. Hello, people. People of Earth, as, as Brett puts it so charmingly. Uh, Brett, uh, let's talk about this podcast, Florida State Baseball, uh, a podcast that we're calling Sunday Golds. Obviously, we love this program. We thought that this would be a great opportunity for baseball fans to really have something that they can look forward to once or twice a week where we just talk about the Seminoles, Mike Martin Field, Dick Hauser Stadium. It's one of the most passionate fan bases in all of college baseball. You could argue the most passionate. And something like this has been missing. So this should be a lot of fun. Right. And we just want to, we love talking ball with each other and we think people would love to hear us talk ball. So here we are. Yeah. What you can expect is, like I said, we're going to do a couple of podcasts a week. Hopefully during the season, this is kind of our pilot episode where uh, we'll do a couple of fall ball episodes so that we can talk some seminal baseball and what to expect as we head into 2021, where again, this is a very uncertain time in our country's history and, and really the world's history. So we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed that we can play baseball in 2021. But so far, so good. We hope to have uh, more of these episodes, players, coaches, staff members, obviously community members, uh, maybe some animals of Section B joining us as well. We could get some uh, some different views and, and talking points throughout this podcast and in the year um, as we go forward. And we even hope to maybe touch on some softball as we get going. Ani Alameda's group has been incredible for really a decade now. I mean, that's arguably the most consistent program on campus. You could definitely have that as a discussion. And, and we hope to get her involved here as well in her program. We know a lot of you love them. Brett, before we keep going, tell people a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I played baseball all the way through high school since I was a little kid. And I just love the game of baseball. Um, I'm a junior at Florida State. I've been riding for Tomahawk Nation over just a little over a year, uh, football, basketball, and baseball. But baseball is really my thing. It's what I have the most passion for, and I love covering it all year long, recruiting every single, every little bit of it. So I'm ready to start talking baseball as much as we can. Yeah, and you do a really nice job, as I've mentioned. I know most of the people who will probably listen to this podcast already know your work, and there will be plenty more that if they don't know your work – a lot coming up. Uh, fall ball has been in swing. Brett has been covering it up and down. And a little bit about myself, I'll let you know. Uh, I do some broadcasting now. Um, I did graduate from Florida State back in 2017 uh, after five great years. I took that victory lap as well and, and really enjoyed my time as a uh, student at Florida State. But like I told you now, I work a little bit with the Osceola. Uh, Bob Ferranti and, and Jerry Cutts have been so gracious to me to allow me to keep writing. I actually started Uh, my media career with Tomahawk Nation as an intern back in like 2014 under um, Bud Elliott. So uh, this is a lot of fun. You and I really bonded over FSU baseball and, and really became friends over this program. And so this should be a lot of fun. And what is a lot of fun is the way Florida State ended the year last year, 12 and five and won, I believe, three games in a row to end the year. You started to see the makings of what FSU could be under Mike Martin Jr., yeah, you know, Aria mentioned that we bonded over, you know, we we really bonded over some PDQ in Gainesville after a Florida State 2-0 win there. So that was a lot of fun. But, you know, at the end of the season, you, you saw what this team could be when they got even just average defense. It didn't, it didn't need to be amazing. It just needed to be make the routine plays, you know, don't don't beat yourself. And that when that team didn't beat themselves, they were going to win a lot of games because they had power in the lineup. They had power in the lineup to go along with that power rotation, and that was 
one of the best rotations in the nation. You know, I'm looking at stats right now, and they held teams to 590 OPS on the season. So that's ridiculous. It's one of the best in the nation, and you weren't going to find a better staff week in and week out. And C.J. Van Eyck gave you a chance to win every Friday, and when you win that Friday game, it goes a long way. Yeah, they had arms up and down. You had the bats that were starting to come around. Reese Albert was getting healthier. Uh, He's back. But let's talk a little bit about who's gone. Just kind of a, a recap of what is no longer with Florida State. C.J. Van Eyck, one of the best arms you've had probably in school history. Um, he's no longer uh, with the Seminoles, but for good reason, right? He signed a, a big paycheck to go play for the Blue Jays, right. and, and we wish him and his family well. Really excited for him. Antonio Velez did, decided that he was ready to start his pro career as well, signed a free agent deal with the Marlins, who had an incredible season. Congrats to you Marlins fans who, who really enjoyed that. The Fish playing baseball for the first time in uh, you know God knows how long. Um, and then, of course, you lost Shane Drohan there, kind of at the end of that five-round draft that was shortened because of COVID. That's, a, that, that's an arm that hurts to lose because you started to see the potential. Those three, you lose them, but what does Florida State have coming back? There's just... They have the whole lineup coming back, first of all. But, you know, replacing those guys in the rotation, it's going to be hard to re- replace their talent and their experience, but they have the guys to do it. They have the depth. They have the power. They have the matchups. So it's still going to be a really good rotation, and it's still going to be the strength of this team. But another big strength of this team is just the experience they're going to have on the offensive side of the ball with, you know, Reese Albert. That whole outfield out there is going to, is going to be a really strong point of this team. Reese Albert, let's start with him. Yeah. We, we know what he did a few years back. He played on one shoulder essentially for a few months, um, had a torn labrum in there, and uh, so incredibly impressed with just what he did. He hit multiple big home runs in that series against LSU to help Florida State get to Omaha in uh, Mike Martin Sr.'s 11's final game, in final season. But it, now he's back healthy. I think last year was a bummer for him just because he started to feel himself getting healthy and and he hit a couple of home runs there in that final game of the year how big is it to have that kind of veteran that kind of leadership that kind of consistent production back in your lineup yeah Reese is really the captain on that side of the ball and he's the guy that gets those guys going and he's always going to be locked in he just he didn't have a fall at all last season which a lot of people really didn't realize and when you don't have that fall it's like when an MLB player doesn't have that spring training you're just you're just not ready to go you can't catch up to fastballs when you can't catch up to fastballs you you're early on the curveballs because you're just trying to get up to that fastball. So, but he's got—he's still not—he's not fully healthy right now. He's um, meet mentioned today that he's got a pulled groin, but he's still hitting. He's swinging and he's seeing the ball well. He's timing everything up. Um, we even saw him turn around a 95 mile per hour fastball for a home run the other day. So, when he's got that timing, he's going to put up big power numbers and he's going to be—he's going to be a stellar defensive center fielder as well. Yeah, one other name that I do need to mention that is no longer on the roster, who you might have known as an everyday player, uh, Carter Smith has gone on to he's going to play baseball at Lipskin but but folks I encourage you to check out uh, his single uh, Paradise he's a uh, he's trying to go into country music I shouldn't say trying cuz he's already there he's moved to Nashville to pursue music and what a great place for him and and he's really impressive if you like country music Carter Smith you might have your uh, your next Florida Georgia line Florida State guy up there in uh, Nashville making it happen and joining uh, Jake Owen as well too so that's really exciting for Carter we wish him well but those are the big names that are gone. We mentioned Reese Albert is back in the outfield. Two other guys. There's some excitement around Elijah Cabell and Robbie Martin. Right. So Robbie Martin is, has been, has, is down in a lot and weight right now. And he's been the most impressive player on the field. In I a good think. way, right? In a yeah, good way. In a good way. In a good way. He's down uh, about 20 pounds and he just looks lighter in his feet. 
you know, but you think that sometimes you lose something in the bat when you lose weight, but I think the word that Meat used today when I asked him about it was loose, and that's really what he is. He's loose in the box. When you're down that weight, you, you're not so stiff. You can get your bat, out, your bat head out quicker, and, you know, as he's going to get his bat out, head out quicker, he's going to start to elevate more. And he's looked like an everyday right fielder, which he hasn't looked like in the past. He's cutting balls off in the gap. He's making big throws, and he's always had that big arm, but now it's really starting to show. We saw, I mean, we saw today, we saw him gun down a runner from almost at the warning track all the way at third base pretty much with ease. And that was an impressive watch. Um, Elijah Cabell is also a bit banged up right now. We don't know what with yet. Um, we've seen him rehabbing a little bit. Uh, it doesn't look to be serious. We've seen him take BP a couple times, and even I think we saw him take BP once, and he put two balls about 500 feet over the scoreboard. So it, it's it's ridiculous when he's when he's going right. And you know Elijah, you don't worry about him hitting for average. He's the strikeouts are going to be there, but if he's giving you the RBIs, if he's giving you the home run in the middle of that order, that order is going to go as he goes. Yeah, I think I was really impressed with just how often he got on base, and a lot of that was he was on pace to shatter the school uh, record for hit by pitches. He had already had fifteen hit the by pitches. Record. Yeah, uh, fifteen hit by pitches in seventeen total games, which is and it's an absolute ridiculous number. And his OBP was near fifty percent. I mean, near fifty percent of the time, Elijah Cabell was standing at first base at the very least. He, he was on havoc on the base path. He does, too. and and he three for six stolen bases. A guy who could have projected to get fifteen or twenty stolen bases in a, a full season, and look, uh, seven home runs in just seventeen games. That 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 was going to turn into uh, a damn near twenty, right? Like right. you had you had a guy that was going to be pretty impressive at the plate, and having him back. Now let's get him healthy. Definitely, that's going to be big. Uh, Elijah Cabell could lead the ACC in home runs in twenty twenty one. Infield, Matthew Nelson at catcher, awesome player. Really has become more impressive as I watch him every time out there. He is in complete control and command of everything that he's asked to do. Yeah, you're going to hear more from Nelly soon, but you know he's, he's also down in weight. He, uh, that was a big emphasis of his offseason and this extra time he had at home. That also makes him lighter on the feet. Behind, behind the plate, he's, he's always had a big arm, but sometimes he's had an issue of his feet are a little slow and he just can't get up and out of his, out of his stance quick enough. But he looks better there, and... Uh, you know, Meat mentioned today that his power is really starting to come to play. And he's always been a physically strong kid, but he hasn't got to the home run powers yet. We saw him double a lot last year. But I think with more aggression at the plate, more first pitch swings, and as he attacks fastballs more, you're going to see him hit for a good amount of home runs this upcoming year. How does the, the infield look? Tell, tell people a little bit about what to expect of the competition to, to fill those, you know, those four spots. Right. So the biggest surprise to me so far in the fall has been the depth in the infield and it's you know depth maybe it's not a ton of amazing players but there's a ton of players there that could start day one there's it's really a three deep almost at every single position and I think every single position besides shortstop you really don't know who's going to start there's a lot of different combinations that could go um, back to that shortstop position you know Nander us we've seen him make a change this fall he's only hitting right-handed now we think it's permanent. He's been doing it for about five practices now. Um, he's been switch hitting for just since the late of his. Uh, he started switch hitting late in his high school career. He's a natural right-handed hitter. He's looked good hitting right-handed. He's just struggled a bit um, with sliders going away from him because he hasn't recognized that spin yet. He hasn't seen it in a while. But I think the big thing there is that he's not going to have to focus on two separate sides of the plate. And, you know, when he doesn't have to worry so much about both sides, I think that will also make him better in the infield because 
He has the tools. He hasn't really shown it yet, but he's always had the tools, and that's why he was thought of so highly coming out of high school. Just defensively, he's one of the best, one of the most skilled players out there. Definitely no doubt about that with Nander. I think there was just so so much expectation for that guy when he came up from high school, you know, a top 50 prospect. Some people had him as a borderline first round, maybe second round pick. And um, yeah, it hasn't lived up to that quite yet. But that's the beautiful thing about baseball and, and with young people. They, they have a chance to grow each and every year. And you can kind of see the tools for Nander. It's, it's in there. Yeah. It's in there. It just has to click for him. And when it clicks, it's, it's going to be good. And he still has a chance to be a high draft pick, in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt about that. I think that that game against Florida that he had his freshman year where he, from the right-hand side, right. left the, like, he left the bleachers, yeah. he left the stadium, he left the trees out beyond left field. Yeah, well, if you look at that tape and you see one person in a white shirt raising their arms out there in the outfield bleachers, that would be me. So go back and watch that and find me there. <laughs> yeah, and in that game, he also had a really nice play up the middle where he pirouetted deep in the hole it's short and, and fired across the first you just see you, you see what makes yeah. him different right he's, from a tools level he's always been able to make that big play it's been more the routine play where he just he, he goes too fast where he doesn't have to quicken up he can slow it down if he slows it down you'll start to see the big arm he has Tyler Barton, Dylan Simmons Logan Lacey those are some names that Florida State yeah. fans remember I actually thought those three the way that they were playing at the end of 2020 was part of the reason why FSU was starting to take that that little next step forward. What can we expect out of those yeah. three? Yeah, well, you know, Logan Lacey really was the unsung hero of that team end of the season. Dylan Simmons was also really hitting, but the hole was at third base. It was at third base defensively, and he just patched it up there. He's got a big arm. He's a sure-handed kid at third base. He's got the biggest arm on the infield besides Nander. So he's definitely – him and Tyler are the two there that are battling for that. And I think whoever plays – better defense will start there in the field but I think no matter what Tyler Martin will be in the lineup in that leadoff spot he's a prototypical leadoff hitter he's just when you watch him in every scrimmage he is the hardest hitter to get out in that lineup I mean Robbie Martin's been the most impressive skill wise but with Tyler Martin you get a coach on the field I mean it really is you really see 11 in him you see junior in him he doesn't swing at pitches out of the zone when it's in the zone he's swinging he's attacking he just he knows what he's doing out there and he it's just really fun to watch him hit because it's it's special sometimes. And then Dylan Simmons, you know, he's got that opposite field power. He just he's, he, it's not always pretty his swing if you go and look at videos, but it, it is just it's all bat speed. I mean, we talked about it today a little bit, and he slaps that ball to right field with ease, and that thing comes off his bat at a really hard rate. And you know, for him and Tyler, they didn't have falls last year, but now they got falls, so I think they could be even better than what they were as freshman All Americans. Yeah, Simmons reminds me of and I, I told you that earlier today when we were at we were at the practice and at the scrimmage he just kind of reminds me of like what people say about Marcelo Zuna for the Braves it's like that everything about the swing is wrong everything about the mechanics is wrong but it works and his hands are so fast and he gets from point a to point b on his path so quickly that at this point you just kind of let him do his thing because he because it's working and you don't want to fix what's working right. he had three hits against Florida in that in, you know in that game in Gainesville and I I saw that gap power and went this kid's got a chance he's doing this against some pretty good arms and then what can you say about Tyler Martin right Brett I mean this this guy comes in and there are question marks about well he's supposed to still be in high school because he's only 17 he's just turning 18 is he on the team because his father's the coach no he's on the team you watched him play and you went okay now I see everything why not just not just meet 
but the assistant coaches, Metcalf, Bellinger, are like all on board with Tyler yeah. Martin. Well, like I talked about with Nander and how sometimes the game looked like it would speed up on him. That never happened for Tyler. And I mean, he still was 17. He was young. He's supposed to be a senior in high school, but the game always just like it came to him slowly and he knew what was going to come to him. He knew the plays that were going to be in front of him. He knew what pitches were coming. It just, he slows it down so much that it doesn't really matter like what comes to him. It just, it's going to be there for him. And he knows that. He reminds me a little bit too of, obviously he's not on the Dodgers roster, right? Like that's not, we're not making the comparison of Tyler Martin to a Dodgers hitter. Mm -hmm. But having just watched the Dodgers basically make me want to vomit as a Braves fan, it was every pitch of, of every at-bat seemed to be a grind, right? Like, it seemed like every hitter, one through nine, and the Dodgers lineup, it just doesn't matter. They lay off the pitches they're supposed to. If they're down 0-2 in the count, all of a sudden you could bet on a 3-2, a full count was coming at some point in the at-bat, and then they make you pay yeah, he, for the he, mistakes. Tyler Martin is that type of player where he is a pain in the ass yeah, to just pitch just, to. He pisses pitchers off. and I mean, you've seen him. <laughs> he's pissed off FSU pitchers. You can go watch in some of these videos, and you see these guys – make a good pitch a good pitch but it doesn't matter and you're just like well i suck but really it's just <laughs> they think that but really it's just that tyler martin he makes you work man he makes you better out there yeah and then what he does on the base paths uh, he's like you said he's an extension of the coach almost and that he just makes the right play over and over again so the infield looking pretty good there i think florida state has got uh, a one through nine that they're going to put together that's going to be very competitive and it's got some dangerous bats it's got some guys who can work the counts it has all the makings of a Really, really good uh, one through nine batting order. All right, so some newcomers. Who are some names that, that people should keep an eye out on that could maybe crack the starting one through nine lineup? Yeah, well, you know, this isn't an amazing recruiting class, and I don't think this will show you really what Mike Metcalf can do as, as a whole as a recruiting coordinator, but this showed you the potential. As When he came in here, they only had six commits, but, you know, they patched it up with kids. They patched it up with JUCO kids. And this class really does look like a solid class now. And, uh, you know, a few of those Juco kids I'll hit on is Casey Asman. He's a lefty hitter. He's a first baseman and outfielder. He's a really athletic kid. He's a gap-to-gap line drive hitter. He, he makes it look simple out there. We've seen him hit velocity. We've seen him hit lefty-lefty matchups. And he just he wrecks havoc. On, I mean, he's a natural first baseman, but he wrecks havoc on, on, the, on the base pass. He had nine stolen bases in a shortened season last year in Juco. Um, puts the ball in play a lot. He rarely strikes out. You know, he also plays some outfield and has a big arm. He gives him a lot of versatility in the lineup. And I think that's a kid that has a good shot of of seeing the lineup early and often. Um, another transfer they got with Garrett Mathis, who pitched against FC last year. He pitched for Mercer, and he hadn't given up a run yet. But he uh, gave up three to FSU in three innings. with their only runs he gave up all year. But I think he may be more of a hitter at Florida State. Um, he didn't hit at Mercer, but... In two years at State College of Florida, I mean, his first year he hit like 390 plus. So the kid can hit, and he's put the ball in play a lot. He's just struggled a little bit lefty and left, but I think that might be a little bit because he didn't see many, many pitches last year at Mercer. Um, Ryan Romano is another Juco kid that's impressed me. He could be in the mix at second base. And then freshman, Bass Jimenez has really – the tools are – I mean – they show. It's I mean, a good looking I, prospect. I texted Aria the first couple times I watched him, and I said, this kid has a cannon. And Aria got out there, and he said, you know what, good call. Yep, this kid has an absolute cannon of an arm. So he's six 6'4 catcher. 6'4 catcher, man. He's got long limbs. You know, he has those freshman moments where you're like, what are you doing? But the, the raw talent is there many more times than the mistakes. 
Um, you know, that catcher position is shored up, so he's really not going to see the field much this year, but that year development is going to be huge for him. And I think he has a chance to be really, really special. We've seen him put up hundred plus exibilos a lot line drive hitter. Um, you know, as he starts to add more to that, that frame, it's, it's really going to be special as a hitter as well, but behind the plate, it is, it is something that makes your jaw drop a couple times with the arm. And then I think Vince Smith is, has the best chance as a freshman to see the lineup a lot. Um, middle infielder, athletic kid, just hitterish tools. Um, He's the freshman I thought that's made the least freshman mistakes where you watch him and you think that's an advanced approach. This kid, he, he looks like a college hitter already. He spits on breaking balls down in the dirt. He, you know, he fights with two strikes, puts the ball in play a lot, line drive hitter, good fielder. Um, I think in the future he could be FSU shortstop, but I think this season you could see him potentially be starting starting second baseman when it comes down to it. Well, that's a pretty good recap, I think, of uh... – what Florida State's attack could look like and in the field. Let's put a ribbon on this thing, huh? How about Matt Nelson, who joined Sunday Golds and joined Brett to talk a little bit about his perspective on the fall and more on his teammates coming up. All right, so enjoy this one. Matt Nelson, Brett Nevitt, this is this is a really good interview. Hope you like it. When you don't get to finish a full season, I mean, obviously every year the excitement level is high going into fall, but how high, how much different is that excitement level this year? It, it's huge. I mean, fall ball usually is really long and really tedious and a lot of learning and takes a big toll on your body just because of how much work you put in and how much work you're trying to do in the, in the uh, weight room too. So with all of that and guys just coming in being ready and just with the mentality of getting after it every single day, it's, it's been a big expectation and, you know, a lot of hype surrounding it. You know, go, like going through all the COVID protocols and everything like that, what's been the biggest adjustment you guys have had to make and personally for you as well this fall just you know trying to stay out of the public stay out of uh going out to restaurants or uh going out and hanging out with crowds or people or friends outside of the facilities or the teams or just stuff like that or i mean even for me i used to go home a lot last year in the fall on the weekends and because come springtime you can't do that so i haven't i've been up here for the last couple months and I haven't been able to go home. So just those adjustments, uh, but nothing, nothing big or dramatic. Have you guys leaned on each other or even other student athletes at this school just to first keep yourselves in like in line and accountable, but also just, you know, you guys are the ones getting tested every so often. So you guys can't hang out with each other all the time. Yeah. I mean, we've been hanging out with each other. Um, not as much as we do at the field because, you know, we're at the field almost, every single day, all day anyways. So we see each other. And if we hang out outside of the field, we might get tired of each other now and then mm-hmm. jokingly, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean some sports, especially like football, like we stay away from them cause they're in season. Um, some other sports, we stay away from them too, because some people might test positive or who knows where they're going. So we're just trying to keep it in our little circle right now. You know, going back to your high school days, you've committed pretty early to FSU and, I mean, I think you went to some Mike Myron camps as well. Growing up, was FSU always a dream school for you? And if it was, has it lived up to everything you thought it would be? You know, it's it's funny you say that because I grew up a huge Georgia fan. Um, I got I get that from my dad. No, he's not from Georgia. He's from Jacksonville. But everybody when he was growing up was either a Florida State fan, Miami fan, or a Florida fan. So he decided to be a Georgia fan. And, you know, when I was born, I fell in those footsteps. And to this day, I'm still a huge Georgia fan. But 
Um, when it came down to it, when I was in middle school, I started doing Mike Martin baseball camps with my friends. And I never even thought about getting recruited at that point in time because you're so young and you just want to go play baseball and have fun. And then fast forward to uh, freshman year of high school and, you know, you're going back to the same camp because, hey, man, this is a tradition I'm doing. It's fun. I like it. It keeps me active during Christmas break. So I go, I end up and luckily I ended up receiving a scholarship and it actually caught me by surprise because I was still going just for fun. So it, it caught me completely off guard. And when I talked to me about the whole situation with my parents and we sat down, like I was just, Oh, okay. Pretty cool. And then my mom looks at me and she's like, do you know what just happened? I was like, no, nah, I really don't. And then she like told me everything, like, like repeated it. And I was just like, Oh, I can come to school and play baseball here. Okay. And I'm, it didn't hit me until like a couple of days after like, Oh my God, like this is actually real. Yeah. So, um, but no, ever since I did commit to Florida state things from past players that I've heard, uh, talking to the coaches, you know, and just even the guys, the commits at the time or the commits that were ahead of you when you come up on visits and things you see. Yeah. It's lived up to its expectations for sure. If not just more, you know, that, that it's kind of the trend now for kids to commit really early. Was that something that you, thought was it positive for yourself or you could just after I mean for most of your high school career you could just be like I'm already committed I don't have to focus on the whole recruiting process anymore you know the it's funny you say that because I never once thought that and you know I mean like I mentioned before I, I never thought about getting recruited I never thought about you know my main goal was I want to play high school baseball I wasn't focused on playing college ball I was 15 16 years old at the time just wanting to make the varsity team at my local high school. And then next thing you know, I get an offer thrown and I'm just like, um, okay, cool. So, you know, once I got a year under my belt in high school and, you know, I really thought about, it, I was like, you know what? Like, I really like this place. It feels like a home away from home and it's far enough, but also close enough. And I like the coaching staff. I like the environment. I like the feel. So this is where I'm going to go. So, so you're talking about how you were a Georgia fan, I guess. How fun was that Athens regional, your first year, your freshman year? How fun was that for you and your family to go up there and do what you guys did? Yeah, so that's actually pretty funny because that was the first time that that was the first time I'd ever been to Athens. So, I mean, just growing up and being um, so committed and dedicated and playing and always just wanting to play just because it was fun. I never had time to go travel anywhere to go up to Athens, go catch a Georgia game up there. So anytime I saw Georgia was when they came down and played in the Outback Bowl in Tampa or when they came down and, you know, when I was really little and they used to practice at USF's old practice facilities and all that other stuff. But anyways, um, yeah, going up to Athens, once we found out we were in the Athens regional, like I shot my dad a text right away. I was like, you know, this sucks, but this is also really awesome. And once we got on, once we got to Athens, we got to the hotel room and we had, we didn't have anything that night. So we had some downtime. My parents got there that exact same night we got there. We went uh, towards Stanford stadium all of campus, the downtown area. And no, I, I mean, personally, just because growing up a huge fan, I was in all the entire time and mm-hmm. I loved every single bit of it, especially the winning part of it. But, uh, yeah. is it, has there any, has there been any stadium or road trip you guys have taken that has lived up to that? Or is that just been like the one thing that's always stood out to you? You know, I would definitely say Georgia has been the one thing that has stood out to me the most just because I have grown up loving every aspect of their program on the football side. And I never got to know the baseball side, but just, you know, who they are, the fans are the people. And 
I mean, other than that, LSU, that that was really cool to see a stadium like that, especially slam pack as a lot of my coaches or Mark Guthrie, who coaches the Florida burn, who was my coach or my travel ball coach in high school. Mm-hmm. He went to LSU and he told me, he said, buddy, there's nothing like playing in the box with the pack stadium. And he's right. And to this day, I still say playing in that stadium full capacity when you're up one Oh in the series, it's a lot more nerve wracking playing your first game in Omaha. It really is. Yeah. As a freshman, I mean, guess how much, how good of an experience was that for you for like, you know, going forward, I don't think you'll ever see an atmosphere quite like that, that will live up to that. We're like, is that just going to be great for you? Like for the rest of your life almost? Oh, that, that was awesome. And the, the funny thing is, is like, you know, Sherman Johnson, I talked to him, um, the winter of my freshman year here. And I was asking him about Omaha and I was like, Hey man, when you played in Omaha, were you nervous? Nah, I'm not nervous. I wasn't nervous. I was like, why, like, why do I need to be nervous? And I was like, dude, it's Omaha. And like, I'm thinking I'm going to be nervous, but then we got comfortable. And then once I got to LSU and I experienced both days there and I was like, I can't even hear myself think right now. It's like, okay, we just did that. Once we got to Omaha and there was, I think there was like 32,000 fans, our first game against right. Arkansas, mm-hmm. it, it was a loud quiet. So it was loud but it was quiet because you didn't have 14,000 people on top of you screaming down your throat the entire time. And 200 of those people are your fans. The rest aren't. So that, th- that throw to third base you made at the box. Do you think, is that like the biggest pl- defensive play you've ever made in your life? Do you think that's still the highlight of my career? <laughs> still the highlight of my career. I don't care about anything else that I did it. Yeah. It's because it was kind of just like a, an aimless, you know, play like, I looked at Mendo, Mendo looked at me. We both gave each other the universal sign of, Hey man, let's do this. And you know, I, I saw the Giacomo, he was getting a big lead after I caught the ball. So I was like, Hey man. So I looked at Mendo and I, and I gave him a little one, two count with the fingers. He was like, all right, all right. So once I got the one, two count after CJ threw that breaking ball, it was just like one, two, all right, let's go. And I didn't think about it. I just went right. after I threw it. I literally thought to myself, like, Oh crap. Because from my view, <laughs> it's going over. He's running back. Well, he's running back to the bag mm-hmm. and I see the ball in line with his helmet. And I'm like, Oh shoot. And then I just see him dive and I'm like, Oh right. yes. And Mendo catches it and throws the knee in front of the bag. And I was like, all right, let's go. That's all we needed. Yeah. Going back to your, your family a bit, I guess, you know, there's not many positives about Corona, but I guess on the flip side, you get to go home. Had you ever been at home with your family for that long a period of time, even going back to travel ball and everything, you probably haven't had that much time by itself to be home with your family. Um, with like being with my family. Yes. Because my parents would both go everywhere with me and my mom would take work on the job with her and my dad would take time off. So we'd always be together. Um, but actually being home, home that long with, you know, no sports, no baseball, no nothing going on. No, we have never had that much downtime in our lives. Like my mom never worked from home. She had to work from home that entire time. And it, it drove both of us nuts because we had nothing to do. Mm -hmm. So what did you do through all that time to keep yourself fit and, you know, keep your timing going and just everything like that? Yeah. So I didn't play summer ball. Um, I thought it would be a great fit for me to figure some things out you know, health wise, nutrition wise, weight wise, and just physical aspect of just trying to make myself a better player person. 
overall athlete. And I talked to a few guys when things were closing down and I got some equipment. I was doing that, doing some workouts at the house. And once gym started to open back up, I talked to a couple of buddies and uh, they uh, were over at diesel fitness over in Tampa. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go try it out. I'll talk to them and went over, tried it out. And the first day I, I about died the first day. And, you know, that's when I looked at the guy and I, I was like, you know, this is, you know, this isn't what I want to do, but this is what I need to do. And, you know, it got to the point where it's like, I need to do this. And then after a week and a half, it was, oh, I want to do this. And mm-hmm. I went from 210 pounds to with a metabolic age of 46 years old, which is absolutely terrible, by the way, for a 21 year old. And then I got on the scale again, my last day at diesel and I was 185 with a metabolic age of 21. So, right. What does that drop in weight do for you on the field? I guess, how much quicker does that make you all the way throughout your game? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, the way I look at things, the way I think of things, like, I mean, it affects you on the mental side too, because I mean, a lot of people say like, Oh, Hey man, look good, feel good or feel good, play good. Or, Hey man, just feel sexy in the box, feel good up there and you'll play well. Right. And like, but they're not lying. Like, you can say that, but then you're like, Oh, I don't feel, but then once you actually feel good, like, Oh, this is a different me. And then I got to a point where it's like, you know, man, I feel like I'm running faster. I feel well. Mm-hmm. And then you start, you know, you have more mobility, you're throwing the ball. Well, things open up more, your body adjusts. And next thing you know, you're like, you know, like that saying's right. And I'm glad I did what I did. You think like, I guess like when you putting down weight, usually you feel like you might lose some power, but with the quickness that it came with, does it also enhance your power a bit? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, there's different ways to do it, but I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, not, I'm not going to lie about this. And I thought, Oh, okay. If I lose 20, 25 pounds, you know, I might lose some power. And I was you know, cause you see that CC Sabathia, CC Sabathia lost weight. And next thing you know, it's like, dude, where'd your fastball go? So then he put the weight back on. Like, oh, here it is. And then next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'm hitting balls harder than I ever have. I get back in the weight room when I come back up to school, I weigh in at 185. And next thing you know, we do max out weeks and I pick up 510 pounds for three reps on deadlift, which I had never picked up 510 pounds before in my life. Yeah. So I was, I had just looked, looked in the mirror after that. I even talked to Jamie, our strength coach. And he was like, dude, this is strong as you've ever been. So, I mean, you don't have to have a lot of weight to be strong. Right. You know, last year you were sophomore draft eligible and it's really the second time you've gone through that process. First of all, I guess, how much did you think about it? And second of all, do you feel like there's some pressure or just, you feel like more normal going into a draft process now that you've gone through it twice? Uh, there's, there's no pressure and how much I thought about going into it. It's like those five rounds. I had a freshman year under my belt and then I had 15 games of an okay season. Mm-hmm. And you know, everybody on the team was just starting to heat up at, at that point in time when we got canceled. So going into that, I was like, you know, I have nothing to prove with this year. So I might as well just prepare myself for next year before the draft even happened. You know, I talked about that with several people and I, there is a hope, you know, Oh, maybe I'll get drafted, but there's also, um, you know, 95% chance that's not going to happen. So Mm. did you always feel like coming back to FSU was like, I don't know how to put it, but plan a and plan there, like it wasn't a plan B, but it was just a plan a part two. 
I would agree with that. I mean, it was a win-win situation for me either way. Either I got to go back to school and play for Florida State or I got to go play professional baseball. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I wasn't complaining because I still had a home somewhere. You know, last year you guys go from 11 to me and you, I mean, you've already had me as a recruiter. He was your position coach, your hitting coach, but what was the biggest differences between 11 and me on a day-to-day basis? You know, I've never really sat down and thought about that, but I mean, they're, they're both very similar. They both teach a lot of the same things. They both go about business the same ways. Um, you know, 11 was just a little bit different in some ways because he, like, I don't know. Sometimes I would ask him a question. He'd like think about it before he'd say it. Whereas like me, it's like, he's got the answer ready to go. Right. But I mean, I don't, I mean, right now I really don't see a difference. I mean, the only difference that I can really tell you about that I've noticed is we're a lot more fast paced and we're playing the game a lot faster. So, right. I guess when you go to, when you have just an assistant coach, preventer to head coach, does it just feel like, you know, this is still the same thing. Like we don't have to have a huge change. Was that a big positive for you guys? Oh yeah. I mean, change, change can either be good or change can be different. And this was a good change because there wasn't really much of a change. You know, we, we lost or we ended up losing two coaches, but we also got two really good coaches out of it. We kept T hole. We still have Jamie, the strength coach. We still have Stoney in the training room. So everybody was still around and it really wasn't much of a change. It, you know, it still just felt like another day at the office. You know, part of that change was coach Metcalf became your position coach. What was it like working with him for that shortened year? And what does he bring to the day-to-day basis at Florida state? You know, it's funny because during practice and individual defense, we usually do about individuals for about, you know, 30 minutes while infielders take ground balls. And at that point in time, it was me, Doug and Carter as the catchers. Well, then Carter ended up taking ground balls at first base because we needed another first baseman. Mm-hmm. And then Doug started throwing 95 off the mound. So then there left me. And it just became me and Metcalf every day for 30 minutes, all fall long, all spring long. And, you know, what, what felt like a very shortened time actually felt like a couple of years. So, I mean, getting to know him, getting to know the ins and outs of, you know, how a recruiter thinks, how a scout thinks, how the front office thinks, how major league players thinks, what they teach on the new school end versus the old school end, what different organizations are doing. Like we have like, with what he brings to the table and everything we've talked about is I could go on for days about it. You brought it up a little bit, but to see, you know, you worked last year with Doug as a catcher and to see him go on mound, throw mid to high nineties with spin rates and 2900s. Are you just like, what the heck was this kid doing as a catcher before? Yeah. It's, it's pretty funny because he, when he came in, we knew that he could throw off the mound, but we didn't know what he could do off the mound. And we'd always make jokes and we'd be like, Oh, Doug, go throw off the mound or something like that. Go join the pitchers or, you know, just joking stuff. We'd call each other soft or whatnot. And like, Oh, if you want to be soft for the day, go join the pitchers. And then next thing you know, he's with the pitchers and he's there every single day. So now the running joke is, Hey, Doug, you want to catch today? And nah, I'm all all right. You can handle that. You know, part of the change last year and a part of you going into your sophomore year with some lineup changes was you feeling that two spot. Did you feel like that was something that fit you? And is that something that you like to do to set up that middle of the order? Yeah, it actually, so it actually caught me by surprise at first when I saw myself in the two spot, 
And I, I made the joke. I like turned around. I was like, guys, I got wheels if I'm in the two spot. <laughs> right. And, and then, you know, I looked back and I was like, dude, I, I had wheels. And then now that I'm looking at myself now, I'm like, I did not have wheels, but no, I, I got, I got pretty comfortable in the two spot and I enjoyed it. And, you know, it gave me a lot of pitches to see actually, especially with Tyler getting on base so much and, you know, being the first man on or setting the tone for the inning, no matter what it is. And, you know, if I got put in the two spot again, I'd be more than happy to be there. The big emphasis meet was trying to get going last year was that aggressiveness early in the count. Now, I think you're a guy that likes to see pitches. You like to get on base, however you can. How do you balance that aggression that he wants, but also while seeing the pitches and taking what you should take? So it, it's funny you say that because I'm actually a very aggressive hitter mm-hmm. and I love to attack early if the fastball is there, but I take a lot of pitches because I usually don't see the fastball yeah. early. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where I end up drawing a lot of pitches or a, a bunch of three, two counts or two, two counts, because if I don't see a fastball within the first two pitches, that's over the middle third of the plate. You know, we're, we, we got to be cautious there, especially with guys in scoring position, depending on the situations, whole nine yards. But yeah, we've implemented a lot that with new guys, Hey man, you take a fastball down the middle, go sit on the bench. Like, I don't care what count it is. You got to be, right. aggressive. you got to be ready, get the foot down and go. Obviously the fall is important for everybody, but how is, how important is it for the catchers for you to learn the pitching staff, to learn all the new guys that are in I guess What does that do for you when it, when springtime comes around? it makes me comfortable behind the plate because I know who's got what I know who can throw what, and I can know who can control who, you know, I mean, it's not just learning what the pitchers can do and what they can throw, but it's also getting to know their personalities, who they are, how they need to be treated because, you know, Doug Kirkland, like we mentioned before, I can go up to Doug in the middle of a inning and slap him on the butt and spark a little fire in him. Whereas, you know, some other guys, I might have to go up there and be like, Hey man, let's slow it down a bit. Hey, it's all right. And, you know, give them a little pat on the butt. Let's attack right here. Every, everybody's different. Everybody's got a different personality and some guys need to be coached differently. Whether that's you get up on them, you tell them what they're doing wrong, or you just, Hey, you're all right. Just calm down. Right. You know, you've, you faced them all. You faced them all fall. You've also, I mean, you've caught them all fall. Just how good could that pitching staff be even after losing CJ and Tony and Shane? I, I mean, losing those three was a big hurt to our team, but at the same time with the amount of pitchers and the amount of ability and projection and depth that they brought in this year, it doesn't feel like we lost much to be honest with you. I mean, we got a ton of lefties that came in Wyatt Kroll. He's throwing the snot out of the ball right now. He's doing really well. Montgomery, he's doing really well. Armstrong, he's doing really well in the zoo. I mean, I mean, all these different guys, they, they bring different stuff to the table and they're all difficult to hit in their own ways. Right. You come back as a two-year starter, but I guess how do you not let yourself get contempt in that position as the starting catcher? Well, we have two really good guys that came in this year. You have a JUCO transfer, Colton Vincent, who's really well, who's really good, and then you got Baz, who's six four, and you know sometimes when he looks angry, you don't want to talk to him, but you go over there and you poke his belly and he starts laughing. But right. I mean, you got two really good, really good incoming. Uh, catchers so every day you have something to prove last question i guess for all the listeners how good can this fsu team be and how close are you guys to getting over that very last that very last home oh it's that it's gonna be a good team i mean i'm excited to see 
what we can do together as a team rather than against each other. Mm-hmm. And it, that's, that's, what's going to be fun about it is, you know, once it actually comes down to see what we can do together as a team, it's going to be, you know, pedal to the metal guys getting after it every single day. If, you know, if you don't want to put in the effort, we got three guys right behind you that'll want to do it for you. Right. We got a huge depth chart in the bullpen. Like, I've, like we've been talking about hitters are swinging at well, making solid contact, driving the ball and, you know, we're being aggressive everywhere where it counts. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to come out of it. We're an old but young team, if you want to say that. Yeah. I'll go with middle-aged. Right. I don't really know how to put that right now, but, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that could happen. Nelly, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for being our first guest on uh, Sunday Golds. We hope that we can hear from you some other times as well. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. It was really good stuff there from – Matt Nelson, Florida State starting catcher, and of course Brett. Brett, what did you take away from your your conversation with Matt? Yeah, my favorite, my favorite talking to him about uh, Athens and what that meant to his family and everything about that. That was that was good to hear. That was fun to listen to. You know, I know that that was something that sort of got him over the hump. I think emotionally going into the game, it kind of started to slow things down with him. The pressure of that, and you know, when he played in LSU, hearing about all those stories and how he thought LSU was there was even more pressure there than playing in Omaha. And, you know, they felt ready to go in Omaha and they wanted, and they just, they were ready to go. And, you know, Nelly's just, he's, he's a smart kid. He's mature kid. And he gives really good answers, obviously. Um, And he's a smart baseball player. And I think he's in store for a strong, strong year in 2021. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I think Matt Nelson will be um, one of the unsung heroes of this team. Every good baseball team that contends for national title has that catcher that just is just in control right of his Mm -hmm. entire roster knows what he's doing and uh matt nelson fits the bill there for florida state all right well brett fall ball we we've chatted a little bit about what we've seen but we are in a a really uncertain time um in in sports history right now where we really just don't know what the future holds because of COVID 19 so how has fall looked for florida state this year when you can't play others right i mean it's always hard to tell sometimes um, how how good guys are when they face each other over and over again. But really, you, you just want to see competitive at-bats. It's not always about the results. It's more so about, um, you know, the product you put in and how these guys are swinging it. I mean, you don't really keep stats. You just look at you look at the velos. You look at command, the feel for stuff, hitters. You just you want to see good takes. You want to see good swings, aggressiveness, stuff like that. But I mean, we've watched a ton of scrimmages. That's what they do mostly right now. But even throughout the scrimmages, it's it's a lot of teaching. You see, you see, meet pause pause a scrimmage, and he'll bring a whole entire position group out there and talk to them and show them and run them through it and that stuff. I mean, just sitting out there. I mean, I've watched a lot of baseball in my life, and sitting out there, there's been something I've heard meet say that I've been like, you know what, that's new to me. Like I've learned something new sitting out here, and he teaches those guys a lot, and he just he also puts them through some stressful situations so that they're ready for that in the season, like. If a pitcher's going one, two, three in an inning, he doesn't care. You know, There's, he's like, all right, somebody on base, get this guy in the stretch, let's get him runner moving. So it's never, it's never easy for those guys, and they, they're put through tough situations that will come up during the season, and they need to see that. But you know, the biggest takeaway has just been how much teaching goes on, even throughout the scrimmages. Yeah, for me, I think just seeing how smart Mike Martin Jr. is, there was a lot of question marks about Meat as a head coach and whether or not he was the right guy for Florida State. Just being around, and I think you and I being close to the program and just seeing that day-to-day, 
we see why why they went with Mike Martin Jr. He gets it. He he's progressive with the game. He is into analytics. They've always got everything you know going up on the on the on the uh, video board of all the little analytics from the pitching to the exit velos to the spin rates. They're all about that, right? Meat gets it, and Meat's hired the staff that understands fully what it takes. Can you just touch on real quick just what Metcalf and Bellinger have met met to Florida State and bring in Tyler Holt back with his tenure right, as well? Right. Well, I'll first hit on Tyler Holt. You know, keeping him around was I mean that's that's their energy guy. That's their energizer bunny. He's not a player, but he's still got that emotion of the player. Um, you know, I talked to him a bit earlier this fall, and you know, he just said being back as a coach brought back that passion that he first felt when he started playing baseball. And we see him in the dugout. I mean, he's, he's all over those guys and. You know, sometimes he's just another player out there. But he's also, I mean, I think he's a really good outfield coach as well. He, he knows how to play Hauser. That's an important thing. You know, he played it firsthand out there a lot. So he knows the bounces off the walls. He knows how to play that big fence. He knows all that stuff. Um, moving over to Bellinger, I think those hires were the most important things that Meat did, and those are really going to help him get off the ground here. If they could keep Bellinger around for a couple years, a few years, I really think that they are going to have, you know, like the Rays called their bullpen the stable. I mean, FSU is going to have a stable of arms. They're going to have big kids, big velos, big arms. They're still going to slide those matchups in there as well. But, you know, Belly really knows what he's doing. We've seen ticks up in fastballs, even for some guys. I mean, even Chase Haney, we've seen his sixth year here. We've seen Jonas Calaro tick, tick up, um, Clayton Kukowski, all these kids, they buying into what Bellinger is telling them to do even in a time where they weren't really around, they weren't with him, but it's fun to watch. Um, Mike Metcalf really is, he's sort of the key here where he expands what they can do. He just, he brings them a whole another dynamic to the table, something they have not had in recruiting. And that's just scouting and getting out early and getting out and finding talent early. It obviously sometimes it sounds weird to say, you know what, 2024 and 2025 may start committing soon too as well. But it's just something you have to do. That's ba- that's college baseball now. And if you don't do it, you fall behind. And Florida State fell behind for a few years there. I mean, we lost, what, 11 straight to Florida? And a lot of that was due to recruiting, you know, them just getting out there before us. But now we're right online with Florida and recruiting. And if you go look at the rankings, it will tell you that. And some classes were ahead of them as well. So him being there, him, his scouting knowledge, his scouting connections are huge. And the recruiting is just is, has gone to a whole nother level. Yeah, let's not also underestimate what he's been able to bring from um, not just a scouting perspective, but ideas on how the pro game approaches the game of baseball, right? right? Like he's been in that organization with the Giants on, hey, this is how the Giants attack trying to win at the MLB level. And you might not completely transition that into your own college game because the games are a little bit different. But the ideas here and there when you're in that meeting room and you're just there as coaches discussing, hey, what do you think? Mike Metcalf has a perspective that I think is pretty unique and special. Yeah, you heard a bit of that from Nelly in that interview where he talked about his relationship with Metcalf. And, you know, Metcalf tells him what scouts want to see, what MLB teams want to see from him. And I think a little bit of that went into Nelly's weight drop where he wants to be a little more athletic. You know, you don't really have to be athletic to be a catcher, but it's a bonus. It makes you better in everything you do, even behind the plate. So it's it's a plus on both sides. Yeah, and so, I mean, the staff is great, and then Florida State is so lucky to have uh, that trio as well as Tyler Holt um, back in the fold as well. All right, so we touched a little bit on the, the lineup. We touched on the hitting attack. We touched on some newcomers on that side of the ball. But this is how you win 
national championships. It's on the mound, right? It's on the rubber. It's what's coming out of the bullpen too. And I think Florida State, for the first time in a long time, even without Van Eyck, even without Drohan, and even without uh, Velez, might have the best pitching staff as a whole that it's had. I don't want to say ever because I, I don't believe that I'm qualified to, to be able to say ever. In the last few years. In the last at least last At least years. since I've been following since about 2005, I think this staff has a chance to be as deep and talented as they've had since then at least. Right, and the most powerful as well, I think. I think that's something that has really stood out. You know, obviously Florida State's always been a little bit of that mix and match, which isn't bad. It's not bad in any way, and there's still going to be some of that. But, you know, when you have the power and that's the way the, the game's moving now, you just there's less room for error really and that's the big thing that we've seen through scrimmages so far give me some names Uh, i mean the starting rotation will begin there um i think a lot of people have questions i mean connor grady is really the only name in that rotation that many people know but they'll know a couple of these other names parker messick being one who was a stud closer for florida state a year ago he has a chance now to potentially move into that Friday, Saturday role. What what do we expect from Parker, and, and what has he done to prepare himself for this role? Right. So first of all, I'll say that we don't really know the format of what this season is going to look like yet. So it's they they have to you know they just start they're just starting to I think they're going to define five guys that can start for them, and they're going to have their three weekend, and then you know you could see like four games in a weekend instead of three games in a weekend and then a week midweek. So. I just want to start off with that. And then I think those are the six that they're going to be deepest in that competition. And those are Parker Messick, as you mentioned, Bryce Hubbard, Connor Grady, Jack Anderson, Hunter Purdue, and the freshman Carson Montgomery. And I think, you know, Parker probably has the best chance of being that Friday guy. And I think he made a good statement on that this past Sunday. And he, he really dominated. Um, the, fa- the fastball's not as heavy as it was last year, but that's because he's trying to last longer He's trying to be a durable guy. He's trying to be efficient. You see him attack the zone a lot with his fastball at about 88 to 92, but he's still going to have that 93, 94 when he needs it. He can reach back and go get it. Um, but, you know, his strength is this is the off-speed, really. Um, he makes guys miss a lot, and he hides the ball really well behind his back hip, and he's got that low release point, that low um, that he guys just don't pick it up. Even, if it's, even when it's 90, 92, guys are not hitting this fastball a lot. So, you know, if, if he keeps doing what he's been doing, I think that is your Friday night starter. He impressed me when he came out against Texas Tech and Florida State needed. That was the best lineup, by the way, that Florida State faced all year. And I don't think it was particularly close. Um, when he came in against Texas Tech, yeah, he gave up the home run that tied the game. But he showed me something there in extra innings to just kind of he was mowing down some really good hitters from Texas Tech, guys who got drafted. Uh, and then he comes in against Florida And that's a situation that Florida State's melted down in before, right? Like in that 11-game losing streak, I think it was like, I don't remember the number exactly. Was it 14 out of 15 or 15 out of 16? Something crazy, right? I'll I'll tell you, I mean, we were there together. I turned to you and I said, I don't know about this one. I don't bring in a freshman in this environment. You knew about it when Parker Messick came in. But as soon as he threw that first pitch, I was like, uh, that's a bulldog. We got a bulldog on the mound, and I feel pretty confident that this game's going to get shut down right here. He didn't waste any time, and that's what I loved is it wasn't ball one, ball two, oh, boy, he's he's kind of just trying attack, to – Attack, Oh, my gosh, it was oh one, oh two, waste pitch to see if he'll chase. He didn't. Okay, well, he's not. Here's a backdoor slurve, slider, curve, whatever you want to call it, uh, good night. And he would kind of, like, get off the mound, 
and you would see this face form, like just this bulldog, like he was like, blacked out. He, he, was, he was like, "Oh yeah, you're getting it now. I'm about, I'm, I'm giving you guys the business. We're giving he, you the belly." And he and he, <laughs> and he did right against Florida. He shut it down. He helps Florida State win that game for the first time in forever. So yeah, M- Messick, you knew the stuff was real. I actually didn't know he was going to maybe move into the weekend rotation until you brought it up. That lets you know Brett Nevitt is uh, an insider at Florida State Baseball, so you should definitely listen to this podcast to hear more on what he's got to say. He goes into the summer fully training to be a starting pitcher, the Florida Collegiate Summer League, and he dealt, he shoved, right? 18 innings in the regular season, .49 ERA, 27 strikeouts. Folks, there there was some talent down in that league this year uh, who, who played in the summer down in the in central florida parker messick's ready to go and i think uh he's got the the mentality he's got the pitch repertoire he, he's ready to be florida state's friday or saturday night guy and the only reason i say friday or saturday is because brett nevitt hunter Purdue's pretty good too right you know hunter purdue probably has the most talent of those guys um he's a former juco kid that was probably going to be drafted in the top three rounds out of, out, of, out of State College of Florida, but he had Tommy John surgery his sophomore year. Um, he missed all last year. He was on the roster. We didn't, he missed the whole year as a red shirt uh, to injury. Um, obviously ended up getting a COVID red shirt as well, but he worked his way back. He's fully healthy. He's fully back now, but you still see him somewhat trying to get that feel back. The one thing he's been missing sort of this, as I've watched this fall, is just the feel for his fastball command. But the stuff is legit. It is it is powerful. It is fun to watch, and it is one of the best sliders that I've ever seen watching any level of baseball ever. Um, if you go watch some of my videos, it, that thing is is a frisbee, and it's coming in hard and off the fastball. It is gross. Um, he's also got a pretty hammer curveball, and I'll mix in a changeup from time to time. But it is 94-95. It sits there. It's not topping there. It sits there, and he's just coming off Tommy John, really. So I think he has a chance to sit there at 93-95 as a starter and start to reach back for 97-98 by the spring. The one thing we want to see a little bit more of is that feel for the command of the fastball. And if that's there, that's another that's another top-of-the-line starter right there. Um, I do think he'll be in there, but he just has to keep showing that he's healthy, that he's progressing from that Tommy John. And then, so you've got one and two there. Again, folks, we're, we're, we're projecting. We don't know exactly what they're going to do. That's kind of the beauty of this pitching staff for FSU is there are five, six, seven guys that could battle that for that, for that three you know, weekend rotation spots. Uh, Carson Montgomery, Connor Grady, those are two names. Uh, I know, let, let's talk about Montgomery here first because that's a name that uh, Twitter is buzzing about. He was a, a top 35 draft prospect, wanted too much money. Um, there were there were talks in the multi-millions that there were some rumors that that's what he wanted um, to be able to forego going to Florida State. Why does he project? Why did he project as such a high talent? W- what have you seen from Montgomery? Well, first off, I'll tell you that, you know, I think the reason Carson wanted so much money was because he really did not think of Florida State as plan B. It was really plan 1A, plan 1B. He's been a kid that was committed since he was 15. He's always liked Florida State, um, you know, his family really was looking forward to him coming here as well. So this is a kid that loves Florida State. This is a kid that is going to be really, really good. Um, you know, you've seen me tell people in interviews and articles he's a weekend type of guy. He's a weekend starter from day one, and I think he is a weekend-level talent. But Meat also wasn't telling these people, you know, he is in our weekend. 
He's telling because Florida State has about seven or eight guys that are weekend level type of guys. I think Carson is well in the mix there. I also think Carson still needs some time to get there as a as a fully reliable option. The stuff is powerful. It is fun to watch. He's low effort and he's touching 97 and it's sitting 93, 96 and it's got movement on it as well. He just can sometimes he can lose that command. He's also got a, a I call it a slurve. It's pretty dynamite as well. Um, his changeup has taken a big step forward since since the summer when I saw him about and that thing gets into the 90s. A changeup in the 90s and that's usually only you'll usually only see that in the in the big leagues, but Montgomery's got it now. Um, I think. At the end of the day, this is a kid that is going to be a first-round pick in three years from now. And at worst, I think this year, he's, he's a legit, a legit closer. Um, and at best, I think by season's end, he's a legit starter as well. So he, he's in there. I don't, I, won't, I don't want to say he's definitely going to be in there. Um, it's talent. It's, it's big talent. It's rare talent. But it still needs some progression. So the other names that I think, just to kind of lump them together for the sake of time, um, Connor Grady, definitely a name. I mean, he's been in the weekend rotation for a couple of years now. You've seen him pitch in big-time games. He's so steady, heavy fastball, good slider off that. Uh, and, he, and there's really no moment that's too big for Connor Grady. He can kind of handle just about everything because he's pitched on some pretty big stages. Um, Grady, Jack Anderson, uh, Bryce Hubbard. Uh, Hubbard was insane this summer as well in the same league that Messick was. Matter of fact, there was a Cy Young Award that was given out for the summer league. Parker Messick won it. There was a heavy consideration for Bryce Hubbard because he had a .6 ERA in 15 innings pitch and struck out 31 guys. So he had just as impressive of a summer. Hubbard's someone they've really liked as a, a potential weekend rotation arm. That's someone the staff's high on. The stuff, the stuff's there. Um, him, Anderson, Grady. Whichever one does start, maybe moves into that Sunday role or, or kind of is that first midweek arm. How nice is it for FSU to just have this staple of arms that is so talented and so effective? Yeah, it, it's all those arms could start at any school, I think. And I'll first hit on Bryce because FSU has a lot of talented arms, but I don't think any of them have a higher ceiling than Bryce Hubbard. It might sound crazy, you know, even as I say it, sometimes I'm like, is it really true? But I, that's truly what I think. Bryce's issues come inefficiency they come in command it's a lot of the same issues that Shane Drohan had and but you always saw what he could be um when Bryce is in the zone it's not getting hit I mean you saw that this summer it was strike out strike out strike out but then the next inning it may be walk 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 it's just but I think he had some mechanical issues in the summer and you know the big thing in the spring I thought was just that first game when he came in and closed he just wasn't right mentally after that after that blown save um, but I think if this is a kid that's right mentally and right mechanically, if he's getting the ball down in the zone, um, it's really fun to watch. And I think that kid's ceiling is as high as it gets. You heard Meat last year say this is a first-round level talent. And he was the best pitcher in fall last season. I haven't seen him yet this fall. Um, but he's, he's got a ceiling that's as high as anybody. And then Jack Anderson and, and Connor Grady are two guys that are really similar to each other. Um, they are fastball changeup slider, and it's mostly slider. It's it's a lot of sli- it's heavy slider, and it is nasty slider. It's mid to high 80s slider. Um, both those guys have ticked up in velocity as well this summer and fall, and that was a big thing for Jack Anderson, not only just to get back here and throw, but also draft wise. Connor's another guy that's 
you know, instead of being about 88, 91, he's like 90, 93 now. And Jack is sitting about 90, 92 and reaching back for that 94. So I think between those two guys, the one that executes better going forward because they may not have as much room for error and they have to land sliders for strikes. They have to have their change up against lefties to get guys off the fastball. Whoever executes out of those two guys more, I think that may be your Sunday guy if not if it's not Bryce. Yeah, I mean, and again, I think the the point we're trying to make with all this is... There's options. There's a lot of options. It's looking like, and again, I know fans don't want to be compared to the Gators all the time and because that's kind of the program that we're, we're kind of chasing after and modeling. It's starting to look like that, right? Like there, It's starting to look like where we used to make fun of uh, Kevin O'Sullivan for getting annoyed at a pitcher for having a... You know, he throws... He walks one batter and he walks and, and O'Sullivan runs out of the dugout immediately pulls him like it's over yeah I got another guy but the point is you have guys and that's that that's the thing is that there are dudes and that this is the thing about Florida State this year there will be dudes on that on that mount the there will be is, dudes you, on the bump you know depth creates competition and oh, they're going to make each other better so that's the big thing for them right now and then the wild card um is is uh, of course uh, McMullen who has a chance to uh, to come in? I know they 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 had hopes on him to be a midweek guy a couple of years ago, and then he, you know, had an injury where he had to miss the season. Um, but but he controls the strike zone, has a pretty good off speed pitch, and he's another guy that could come in and provide some valuable innings. All right, relief. The guys coming in after the starters. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Tyler Ahern. I think that's a name that Florida State fans have become accustomed to, and he's gotten better and better in each of his seasons. You know, Tyler coming out of high school had, I mean, ridiculous stuff. It was it was nasty. It was you know, I think he came out of IMG. I'm pretty sure it was mid-90s all the time, but he just didn't have command when he got here. Didn't have command his sophomore year either, but last year the big X factor for him was Jimmy Bellinger introducing him to the pitch called one-seam which isn't a sinker. It's not a two-seam. It's sort of in between those two pitches. But, you know, you just saw him miss bats over and over again and induce weak contact. The biggest thing was, you know, you just saw him find confidence in himself, toeing the rubber. He didn't look like he was uncomfortable anymore. And he really did find the strike zone a lot. And when he's in the strike zone, it's, it's, it's nasty. It's closer stuff. It's a, it's a hard slider. It's a tight, that slider is really tight and, you know, and throws in a change up from time to time there as well. But the one seam is, is one of the best pitches on this entire roster. And then the, the, the matchups, right? Uh, the guys who come in, the lefties. And then, uh, of course, uh, you have Chase Haney as well. But we'll, we'll touch on Chase here in a second. Jonah, Clayton, you got Scalaro, Kwiatkowski. Big to have two lefty arms that can come in and, and match up when they need to, or they can give you extended, you know, three, four innings at a time if, if necessary. Both have had some really great moments at Florida State, and it's older arms, right, that have been through a number of situations, a number of different stages, um, in a number of different contests. So what do those two provide? Yeah, well, Jonah's another guy that I talked about a little bit earlier, but he's ticked up as well. You know, he's throwing the ball really firm right now. He's even, I mean, he's, he was sitting 90 almost the other day. And when he keeps that slider down in the zone, he can be dominant. You saw it in the College World Series a couple years ago where he, had, he hadn't even pitched in like a month almost, and he came out there and he dominated. I think that was the Michigan game, I want to say. Maybe it was Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Was it Texas Tech? Yeah, it was Texas Tech. But, uh, yeah, when he's down in the zone with the slider, it's it's – like three it's innings, seven strikeouts. Right. It was crazy. And then, you know, I thought Clayton Kwiatkowski was throwing some of his best baseball best baseball last year when the season came to the end. Um, Duke, it was, Duke comes to mind. Right. The, 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 the finale against Duke. He was starting to look 
really good. I mean, and even when you look at Clayton's number his whole career, it's 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 pretty legit. I mean, it's he's been here for a long time. He's put up big numbers and big innings. Um, he's a guy that can give you extra extra innings if you need it. He get like he's a long reliever at sometimes. He can also be that matchup guy. Another two lefties I'll mention. Um, two freshmen that have really impressed this fall are Wyatt Crowell and Ross Dunn. Ross Dunn was a kid from Utah. He was committed to Bellinger at Kentucky. When Bellinger switched over to Florida State, he flipped with him. Um, he's going to be a bit more of a powerful par- Parker Messick with less pitchability. Um, it's it's 91 to 95 with the fastball. It's um, a big curveball. Wyatt Crowell's a kid out of Georgia who's 92-94 with his fastball from a bit of a, a bit of a funky arm angle. So that gets on hitter, hitters really quick. And then Chase Haney. Uh, that's um, that's a big deal, right? Like getting a guy who's in his sixth year now. I mean, I think we're going to joke and start calling him Dr. Haney. And so uh, I'm not even sure if he's getting his PhD. I think he is. I think he has to at this point. Um, I need to ask him that the next time I get a chance to talk to him. Um, but Haney is a guy who's going to be successful in life no matter what he does. Uh, and it kind of translates right on the – uh, on the pitching mound on that rubber yeah. because he comes in from a sidearm and it's strike after strike. He controls the zone. Well, he is ready for every moment and he's pitched in some really big moments in his career. Chase Haney's also someone that I think the whole locker room just kind of looks up to that clubhouse really respects him. How big of a deal is it for Chase Haney to be back and choosing to come back for uh, what is now his sixth year? Yeah, it's, it's as important as having, your Parker Messick's in the in starting rotation. It's it's as important as having your Elijah Cabell hitting home runs in the middle of the lineup. I mean, that's a rubber arm you can throw out there whenever you want. I mean, I think he there was times where he threw every three games in a weekend sometimes, and he's up for those big moments. It doesn't nothing really scares him any like nothing nothing. He never wavers on the mound out there. Um, you know, he gets you ground balls when you need him. But the biggest thing is, like you said, he is the leader in that locker room. He's the guy that steps up when somebody needs to step up, step up. He knows what to say at all times. So, you know, he's just a kid that they can rely on in every form of the game. All right. So who who do we look for in the ninth inning? Who are some names that could run out there and be Florida State's closer? Florida State's had a history now and a pedigree of, of really good closers throughout Mike Martin's career and now Mike Martin Jr.'s career as well early on. Who are some names that Florida State fans need to keep an eye on? Yeah, so my three favorites, I've already mentioned two of them. We talked to Tyler Ahern and then Carson Montgomery, but Doug Kirkland is throwing down the duggernaut every time he's on the mound. I mean, that's what I'm starting to call it. It's it's a hard fastball. It's a heavy fastball, um, you know, 93 to 96. I think he'll be even higher in the spring. You, first of all, you have to understand this was a kid that was a catcher. I mean, he came in as a catcher. They were last year. They basically said, "Show me what you got on the mound," because you know that's cannon behind the plate, and they needed some more pitching. They needed a little bit there, so he threw about ten innings the last like eight years of his life before coming to Florida State, and now he's spinning curveballs in the twenty nine hundreds of RPMs. So he, the fastball is what pops out there, but really his strength is those curveballs, this curveball in the slider. The slider will be mid-80s, the curveball is in the low-80s, but he lands them both for strikes, which is big because then he can use that fastball up out of the zone, which guys will go chase. And then the curveball is just, it's its as good as it gets. It's just, it comes down on hitters quick, and they, it's really hard to recognize when it's spinning that fast. So 
if he's in the zone, if he continue to, continues to develop, that's a kid that's going to see a lot of innings, and he's going to be a big-time arm. Um, I think those are the three guys right there, Aher and Montgomery and Kirkland. And I think all those guys have the right mentality, and they all have the stuff. They have a lot, a lot of stuff through those three guys. I think what you're kind of getting at, too, is it's going to come down to probably those you know three or four weeks before the season starts. Who Who's hot? Like, who in that moment... And who in that part of the year is just feeling, you know, feeling the zone? Can they fill up the strike zone? Did they did they lose their command in the couple, you know, because the, they'll be off after the fall for a mm-hmm. little while. Um, ideally, I think Kirkland is the one who who closes just because he's so valuable that it's like you want to maximize his value. And from what we've seen already in the fall and from what I saw in the summer, Doug Kirkland's disgusting. And, and he... It's the Duggernaut. Yeah, it's the Duggernaut. If, if that's what you're going to coin it, if people don't like it, I'm going to say I don't like it either. So just letting you know that on top of it. But if but if it catches on, good for you, Brett. And trademarking then, it right now. Yeah, and I <laughs> I think, you know, ideally for meat and for belly, uh, you want to have Jonah and Clayton as kind of matchup guys. You want to go to Chase in the eighth if you can, and you want to go to Kirkland in the ninth. I, and, think, I think Chase will be the high leverage guy before the ninth inning where you know if there's bases loaded in a fifth inning chase go get it done to go 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 get us out of this jam and you know go sit in the dugout and be a team leader the rest of the game yeah and then of course uh, like you mentioned ahern so valuable you just kind of have to have these arms that can kind of match up and when i say match up i don't just purely mean righty versus lefty i mean a guy who comes in and is crafty and a guy who comes in and is just going to speed it by you. There's there's other guys like, you know, Davis Hare, who's he's a righty, but his matchup favors against lefties because of a splitter. I mean, there's guys all over the place. that It's just there's different stores. They have somebody different for every hitter, really, is what it just feels like. Yeah, it's a big deal for Florida State. So, all right, so that I think that's a pretty good um, recap there of what to expect for the fall for Florida State. Um, they have their, you know, their Garnet and Gold games two days on, I believe, is it the 4th and 5th right, of November? Right. That'll stream on ACC Network Extra. For those of you um, who don't know what that is, uh, I, I I don't know. I, I encourage you to know what that is by now. It's been out for a while. But the ESPN app, ESPN3, all from the same mold. You have to get it on the app. I believe Lulu, uh, Eric Llewellyn, and Chip Baker will be on the call, so you'll have some some friendly voices um, giving you all the action and maybe in those two days, you'll see a lot of what me and Brett talked about either way. We'll be back after that, um, after, after those two games to just kind of recap fall in general and what's impressed us, what hasn't, and, uh, some question marks that we have moving into the 2021 season. You can expect a couple podcasts in the season a week. Again, we're going to try and touch on some softball as well in the future. Uh, we really hope you like this. If it is, leave us some comments. Uh, you can find, Uh, Brett on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. Brett, where can I find you on Twitter? What's that handle? At BrettPN. Mine is a a lot more simple than that. Uh, It's just Ario Masuti, first and last name. So you can find us on Twitter. Uh, We hope to have this on all streaming devices here soon. Uh, Apple Podcasts for sure. And um, we hope to bring this to you throughout the season and hope you like it. And we appreciate you as always. Ario Masuti, Brett Nevitt, Sunday Golds. Talk to you next time.